the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtains. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Secret societies, secret oaths, secret proceedings. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for His church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European superstate, and more. All in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. Zone. My name is Christine Wyke. I thank Phil again for letting me work this next half hour throughout the book of Revelation. And as we slowly go through this incredible book of the Bible, it's my favorite, it's my passion. Uh, we are getting closer to the end of the book of Revelation. We are right now up to Revelation 15. Um, but it's... Uh, It's an important part of of prophecy because God was generous enough to let us know ahead of time what is coming. But the segment for today, the bowls of wrath, if you are a believer, I do not believe that these are for us. Um, This is the wrath of God. Many prophecy readers, prophecy believers, uh, or studiers will like to say that the entire tribulation period is considered the wrath of God, and it is not. Um, It is towards the end of the tribulation period that I see the bowls of wrath being poured out. It is the last-ditch effort that God uses, and it is something that helps to kind of put it bluntly, destroy the rest of mankind that he finds is to be damned to the lake of burning sulfur. And at the same time, he sets that stage also to remake the earth into the thousand-year reign of Christ that comes afterwards, and that, of course, is the blessed hope for the believers. We start today with Revelation 15. We open up here with the uh, the last plagues, the last seven plagues. Um, the Bible even states that in Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the last seven plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. Because these seven events here finish out the tribulation period, it also mentions that the wrath of God is also finishing. And I guess this is where the argument of people say, hey, see, this this gives us the clue that the tribulation period, its entirety, is the wrath of God. The seven bowls wrap it up. But actually, the wrath of God is poured out throughout 
the tribulation period on the unbeliever as well. Remember the locusts that come out of the abyss? They sting those that have the mark of the beast. Or actually, take that back. They sting those who do not have the mark of God. Sorry, opposite there. And that, of course, is an affliction. That is a wrath of God. Now, this is where the group of seven, we have seven trumpets, seven seals, and seven vials or bowls of wrath. These seven bowls are different from the other two groups of seven. The trumpets and the seals. Now, this is my idea. The trumpets and the seals are spread out over the majority of the tribulation period. They are intertwined with each other. I do not believe that all the trumpets occur after all the seals have occurred. And there's a big strong clue in today's lesson where we can see that, that they are intertwined and mixed in. However, this group of the seven bowls are predominantly together in a lump sum, you would say, in in a lump group, and then very rapidly poured out. This group sticks together, you would say, saving the worst for last. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. This is interesting. This takes a little bit of a study here because it's mentioned throughout the different parts of Revelation. First of all, the sea of glass mixed with fire could possibly be the place of torment for those who worship the Antichrist and take the mark. I believe this is also the lake of burning sulfur, um, sea of glass mixed with fire, kind of looks like that. The lake of burning sulfur we are introduced in the previous chapter, Revelation 14, verses 9 and 11. But notice here the sea is calm. It's like glass. When a body of water is considered like glass, smooth as glass, that means there's no ripple in it. That means nothing is in there to disturb it. It is calm. Because I feel that the swimmers, if you want to put it in a different way, the the people who are going to be thrown into this lake of fire are not there yet. Right now it is calm. But notice, Who stands beside it? Now, some versions of the Bible state that there are people who stand above it. Um, It's kind of difficult to to, kind of put the Greek or the Hebrew connotations with what that means. But we know for sure that the believers are standing around it or by it, where they're able to witness what is going to happen. We also have a sea of glass that was mentioned being in front of the throne early in Revelation. Um, but I do believe if that's a different sea, um, this is definitely here, the lake of burning sulfur from chapter 14. The people John sees standing beside the sea, or actually above the sea, whatever, these are believers that come out of the tribulation period. Notice who they are. They had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. In other words, these are the people who held their testimony to Jesus, did not deny Christ as their Savior, refused to worship the beast, refused to take the mark. Um, All of that combined, this is now their time to see what happens to those who did take the mark and worshiped the beast. 
I do believe at this point the rapture now has taken place because these are now people besides this sea. I do believe also this is proof that believers will not go through the seven bowls of wrath. They are seen in heaven before these bowls are poured out. So we can say whoever is left upon the earth at this point are all unbelievers. Here again is a clue that the person cannot be taken by the rapture if he or she did two of these things. Again, it's mentioned again here in Revelation chapter 14. I'll actually we'll pull that out as we get closer to that verse. The mark of the beast and the worship of the Antichrist go hand in hand. Do not be fooled by the notion that you can do one and not the other. And this, in fact, may be the trick that the Antichrist pulls to deceive believers. I can, can you hear him already? Take the mark. It's just a simple way to identify you. This way, you and your family can eat. If you strongly disagree with taking the mark, that's fine. But just worship me and I'll let you go without the mark. Or just take the mark, give your family its food, you don't need to worship me. Can you kind of see the trickery that's going to go behind that? But the Bible is very clear. Those who take the mark also worship the beast. The two cannot be split up. The verse also indicates here that the believers may be able to view the punishment of their persecutors. They all seem to be gathered by this edge of the sea for a reason. It also shows that there's not much time left. Notice as the crowd begins to gather by the edge of the sea or around the sea. It's about soon time for the gathering in of the weeds from that parable in Matthew, from Jesus separating the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. It is time for the unbelievers to be thrown into the fire. Also, and this is where (laughs) Revelation is amazing, this connects back to Revelation 3 with the Church of Philadelphia. Go back to that and reread it. Notice, that the church there, the true believer, which is also today, it is stated that Jesus loved this particular church. It is also stated by Jesus that those who come from the synagogue of Satan, which you can say would be the realm of the Antichrist, will be forced to fall down at the believer's feet. They will have to acknowledge that those who stood by the sea are the ones that Jesus truly loved. This is where I do believe we get to see and view the destruction or the torture now of those who tortured the believers. Don't really know if that's a choice we have or if that's something that um, God is commanding us to do, that we will see then the, the full effect of what they've done to us, um, kind of an equal part of God's justice. Um, the Bible's not clear on that. All it states is that there are believers that are starting to gather. Revelation 15, verse 2. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Notice the two there. Moses, hey, this could be a group of Jews as well, but it's the Lamb of God. This is where... 
the testimony of Jesus Christ comes in, and it's the lamb. Notice the sacrificial part of Jesus here. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. True and just are your ways, King of ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the first time we see mentioned that the believers from the tribulation period will be given harps. Now, if you are a believer, a born-again Christian, and you never could or never thought you could play an instrument, uh, that's going to change. You'll be able to play the harp. And I've been told the harp is one of the most difficult instruments to play. So that's kind of something we can look forward to. Notice that they sing a song of Moses. However, notice that their faith is rooted in Judaism, but it's fulfilled by what Jesus did on the cross, which was the Lamb. And the song that we sang or they sang tells of the greatness of God. The content, content or the message of it is God is the one who is worshipped, not the Antichrist. Verse 5. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was opened. Out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Something to keep in mind, in old Jewish culture, a golden sash across the chest meant authority, high-ranking authority. So these are heavenly angels with a significant um, uh, maybe a significant leadership. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues from the seven angels were completed. Now from these few verses alone, I could speak for probably five hours on explaining the Jewish customs that relate to what we are shown here. These customs commanded to Moses from God reflects how things take place in heaven. And this is where my Jewish culture, I am not familiar, without my Jewish culture, I am not familiar enough to say, hey, Look at the comparison here between what the Jews believe today and what is taking place here in heaven. Verse 16, uh, verse 1, Revelation 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowl of God's wrath upon the earth. Now, a few things to look at before we understand what is happening with the bowls. The pouring out of the bowls is different from the seals and the trumpets in a couple of ways. First of all, the seven bowls are very quick to follow each other. If you read through Revelation chapter 16, you will notice that there is almost one bowl for each verse. They're in very rapid succession. And that indicates to me that the events that occur upon the earth with the pouring out of the, of the bowls are also very quick and very uh, much in rapid succession to each other i do not believe that the pouring out of the bowls drags on for more than months or years i do believe that it is possible that these are in a matter of of days of each other i'm not sure that is a speculation on my part but just by the way the setup of the trumpets and that the setup of the seals are different 
than the setup of the bowl. Second thing here, John does not use very many metaphors or symbolism when describing the after effects of each bowl. In fact, the wording that John uses can be taken literally exactly the way he writes it. John seems to want to make very plain what is expected for those who do not repent. So let's get into the first bowl. Verse 2, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. Ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. It all starts off with the sores or the boils. The Bible says that they were ugly and painful. So we can assume that they are going to be very large. The people who are left after the rapture will have this mark of the beast. And they will have made the decision to worship the Antichrist. There is no mention at all about someone who's excluded from this plague. Um, It doesn't say animals are. It just says the people. So we can assume here, again, that the believers are gone. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Now, I have never known to uh, to know what the blood is like from a corpse. But you can imagine, and we can definitely know, that when the blood stops flowing, it begins to clot and thicken. Now, go back to the scenes from the oil spill from the Gulf of Mexico when that deep water horizon oil rig had collapsed and from the result from the explosion of it. This to me, was a clue that God gave us. In fact, the news media really is the one that alerted me to this possibility. Notice the wording that they used, clots of oil. And they were clots. Notice that relation to clotting of blood. Notice also how the ooze that was shown. People were walking in it with their boots, trying to clean it up. They would pick up their boot or they would pick up a a string of uh, material, uh, of seaweed, and you could just see the oil just was clinging to it. It just created such a sludge. This, to me, was a clue. Is there a possibility that the Lord opens up a crack in the sea and outpours the oil that's always flowing underneath the earth's crust. And, of course, that is definitely in the ocean. That's why we drill there. Did God give us a clue with the oil spill from the Gulf that says, look, this is what the blood of a dead man is like? Is there also a possibility of red tides occurring again? I thought about that. I have talked before about the third of the water turning to blood, and I have kind of made the kind of come up with the idea that red tides could be a possibility there. Google red tides. I don't want to get into that right now. But there's a difference between these two plagues the third of the sea turning to blood, and the sea turning to that of a dead man, I believe, is a different plague. It's something separated. And this is where I believe that the sea just becomes thick and it becomes oozy and and clots. And just as a result, 
this is what happens when oil floods into the water. Okay, now you got to couple this with the smell of rotting fish. So not only do you have this stench of oil in the air, you now have the stench of rotten fish. Oh, but wait, there's more. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So notice how the entire water supply is affected. There is no available clean water. Verse 5. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your judgments. I think with the contamination of this water supply, this plague is so severe that the angel even finds it difficult to absorb it. It is their adoration of what is right and just that allows them to say this, just and right are you, O Lord, in what is now happening to them. I, I find it difficult to explain the feelings of the angel, but maybe it is the same feeling that we can get when we sit in a courtroom and we hear the death penalty handed down to a child killer. We know that it's just. The convicted one deserves the punishment. And the victim has received the justice. But the whole situation is just so sad. And I think that's part of the feeling here, I believe, that the angel is saying. It's just This is just like a no-win situation for anybody. But... The Lord is just and true, and it needs to be done. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. Now, you got to understand what the conditions are like at this point. Okay, we have unbelievers with sores all over their bodies and no clean water to drink or bathe in. The stench in the air has got to be sickening, just beyond imagination. And now add heat. The Bible doesn't say how hot. Nevertheless, the people are being burned, and this is another painful affliction. It is a very good possibility that this happens with a solar flare from the sun. Can that happen? You betcha. A gamma ray from the sun can cause sunburn, and this will definitely be a major one to the point where people on the earth are burned. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Now, many scientists will conclude that the result of a major solar flare, if that should happen with the burning of, the, of mankind, will also disrupt all electrical grids. Uh, this has already has occurred in very small instances across the, the, the world in other times when, when there's been a solar flare. This may explain, then, how the government of the Antichrist is plunged into darkness. 
another way of thinking of it is that the whole kingdom of the Antichrist covers the entire earth. Since he is the only one and one world leader, could it be concluded then that the entire earth is cast into darkness? So you could then conclude by saying that there is no natural light. So what has happened to the sun? Now, if you go to Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Jesus states, after the distress of those days, and the distress would be for the, um, for the, for the believer, after the persecution, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Now, it seems that the sun sputters and dies. Well, as a result of that, the moon cannot reflect any light. So, yeah, as a secondary result, the moon does fail to give the light. There is now total and complete darkness. What the Bible does not answer, and I can only speculate, is what now happens to the earth if the sun would go out? Does it turn bitter cold? We first have an extreme blast of heat. Now we go to the extreme. We have extreme blast of cold. What will the earth do in response? The people. Ah, they curse God. They know from where exactly these plagues are coming from. They start to curse God for something that they are well aware of the origin of this. They know that this does not come from any man. And this is where I cannot believe that the plagues mentioned in Revelation have anything to do with a nuclear war because that is a man thing. I believe everything we see throughout Revelation is all a God thing. And I tell you what, he's got an arsenal of weapons. And one of them is this, controlling the sun to the point where it dies. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, you've got to study this one. This is mentioned with the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet released the demons that mobilized the troops. Remember, those are the 200 million strong that come from the east. These are now marching towards Armageddon. So the bulls kind of coincide here with the battle of Armageddon. Notice how the bulls now coincide and parallel the trumpet. So this has got to give you a clue here that all the trumpets do not sound first before the bowls are poured out. The trumpets are mixed in. It's a different view with the bowls. So with the river dried up, it now makes it possible for this enormous movement of Armageddon to go towards Israel. And the chaos in the natural environment, it is now possible to imagine that all the major rivers had dried up anyway. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the plague from before. Verse 13, Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. These are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world and gather them for battle on the great day of the Lord God Almighty. Now here is an example of demons and what they look like again. This is a metaphor. Describe for us. These demons are tricksters, using magic or miracles to control mankind. And I believe they 
could use the uh, the trickery or the magic of creating light and heat, something that the humans at this point do need to survive. Now, at the time of this bowl, they tricked the leaders of the entire world to mobilize whoever is able to fight to head towards Armageddon. And it seems like there is a lie because they're tricking. It is circulated that if anybody and everybody can get together, God can be defeated and the world will go back to normal. And that's where we see the Battle of Armageddon starting to happen. As we go through Revelation here, verse 15 comes up in chapter 16. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so he may not go naked and shamefully exposed. Isn't this verse seem like a little out of place? It's like it's already too late. Um, But I believe it's a warning that comes out of nowhere. It cannot be intended to warn those getting ready for Armageddon. Those people are already damned. This is a warning for us right now, the Revelation reader, to pay attention, beware, so that you are not caught in this predicament of having to be drafted to go to war against a, a magnificent God who know who you know can and will destroy you. Keep this in mind. I believe this was just a one last ditch effort for the Lord to remind us, get your act together so that you are not caught having to go to Armageddon and knowing your fate. My name again is Christine White. I'm the author of the book Explain There, a verse by verse explanation of the book of Revelation. You can reach me at my website at www.explainthis.us, and I hope to hear from you soon. Hopefully, we'll, Lord willing, see you next week.